This is not your mother's middle age. No longer is waking up each day, living the wash, rinse, and repeat cycle acceptable. We have the life lessons, the relationships, the wins, and the losses with which to navigate to our highest self without hesitation and without fear leading the way. We have been there and done that, and so we have so much to offer the world and each other. So join me on this journey speaking to ordinary women doing extraordinary things for new insights, new ideas, new medical breakthroughs, and new life lessons. You will be inspired to find your best life here and now. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire, and this is your Second Wind Podcast. Hi there, Second Wind. Welcome back to another fabulous episode with two more fabulous people that I have the fortune to know and get to know and now become friends with. I have Christy Hellenbrand and her daughter, Brooklyn, who have lived with Lyme for two years now, probably longer, but two years, and it has had a hold on their family in so many different ways. Christy is a chiropractor by trade, mother of three teenagers, wife for 23 years, and has, like me, a farm of misfits with misfit animals that we take care of. And her daughter, Brooklyn, is a rising junior in high school who had a very normal and ordinary life until Lyme took hold of their family. Christy became an advocate and started a support group with another fabulous woman. And during this time, Brooklyn decided to launch her own website. Huge project, it looks amazing, and it's called Lyme Lives Here, and that debuted recently, May 17th of 2022 for a Girl Scout project. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. So welcome, ladies. Thank you, Wendy. I'm so excited to be here. Brooklyn is as well. This is a big deal for her. Yeah, this is this is really, I know that you both a little nervous. And I said, no, yeah. it's going to be fun. We're just going to have a conversation. Yeah. But your story is is real. It's so real. And my kids are older. So all they've had to do is just roll their eyes when I mention Lyme. It hasn't really affected them. But you had your kids in your home while this is happening to you. And there's many, many women who who are child givers during having Lyme and not even knowing it. Right. And even if they do know it, they're trying to raise a family, which I can't even imagine. So you were in the throes of it. Yeah. Uh, Mothers Against Lyme is, is a testament to that. So let's get started. Christy, tell me your story. Tell the second win listeners. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to have teenagers when I became sick. I didn't have the littles. You know, they were all older. But that, unfortunately, did lead to other issues in our home. And kind of my story goes back to 2020. So, you know, everyone was quarantining and we had remained healthy and happy. And actually having daddy working from home was wonderful. And my practice, it's a home chiropractic office. We had relocated it outside for a time. We had a 10 foot by 10 foot tent. We were seeing patients out by where the horses were. It was just a really great time. 2020 was rolling and we were doing okay. And then that summer, I got what I thought was like a summer flu. Actually, let me go back a little before that. I would be working with patients and I would get very lightheaded or dizzy. I'd break out in sweats. And I, you know, just thought I better check in with my cardiologist. I had one from a couple other incidents that had happened over the years. And and then I started to get that flu feeling on top of it. And I said, I better just go in. And so he cleared me. Everything looked normal. 
you know, blood pressure was a little low. I've always dealt with that, which is why I've had him on my team to begin with. But as the weeks went on, I began to feel poisoned is what I told my husband. We were sitting at the kitchen table, I remember. And I said to him, I don't know how to describe this to you other than to tell you that I think I'm being poisoned. And at that point, we got a carbon monoxide detector. We checked into radon testing. We did the mold testing. I was the one that was at home most. You know, the, the kids were all off at school. Brandon was off at work. So, so that's so we, why you, if, there, if it was carbon monoxide, you were the only one getting it because you were in the home. That I would have been the most affected more. by it. Is that one? Yeah, yeah. And, okay. and so when none of those things really showed anything, I did eventually go to a doctor I had referred my own patients to for years. I had never needed her, but she was a functional medicine kind of integrative specialist. MD, I went to her and I said, there's something really, really wrong. And so we made up a list together. You know, we differential diagnosis list of like 15, 20 different things. And some of them were really big, bad, and scary. And some of them were, you know, your hormones are off. You just need some testosterone. And so, you know, it was our plan to go through that list and start checking things off. And what happened, however, was that we had a quick progression of the worsening. And it started with my feet going not numb, but they were floating. And then over the course of a week, it came up to about my waist. So wait, with float, that, floating. describe that so people can, it's as if they're know, not a, there. It's as if they're not there. I thought, I told my husband, it, it was like a phantom legs from my feet, you know, that it was my knees down. And then I was sitting there and it was my waist down. And these phantom limbs would give out on me. Sometimes I had ordered a cane at that point and was actually out one of my horses getting an exam done and I just dropped and I just, I couldn't hold myself up and uh, was noticing some balancing. Was it all the time? No. Did it come and go or was it like constant? The floating feeling was always there, but sometimes I could push through it and they would hold me up and other times they wouldn't. And it was all incredibly strange. You know, with COVID going around, there was concern that maybe there was something there, but really what happened that really pushed me is I went back for my cardiology follow-up. We had done some carotid artery imaging and some heart scans and stuff. And I went back to see him with a cane and I was very weak. Mm. My, my son had had to drive me to the appointment. I could not drive anymore. I was afraid my legs, I'd be on the road and that my legs wouldn't hit the gas when I need, or the, the brakes when I needed them to. So when he saw me with the cane and he also, also really pointed out the imbalance issues I was having that I wasn't even fully aware of yet, but he looked at me and he said, you need a neurologist. You need one yesterday. I came home. I looked up a neurology office associated with the same clinic, Emory, here in Atlanta. And the next appointment available was three months away. And I said to my husband, I think you have to take me into the, the hospital. And of course, at that time with COVID, nobody wanted to go to a hospital, right? Because you could go in and never come back right. out. You couldn't take your family with you. I mean, it was... <laughs> It was like, do we really do this? And to credit my sister-in-law, actually, her husband had had Gillian Beret. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. A few years back, and it presented much the same, a weakness in his legs, and it creeped up. And she said, please, Christy, go in right now. Just in case this is something terrible like that, please go in right now. And so so my husband dropped me off at the Emory ER, and I was admitted. And it, Wait, TV timeout. TV timeout. What is going on through your head right now? You're a mom of three teenagers, a wife. Yeah. You've got a, what was a thriving practice, a chiropractor. You're a doctor. You know, what is going through your mind with all this? 
you know, until I got sick, I was a type A, you just push through, you, you know, you do what you got to do to get mm-hmm. through the day. So I hadn't even really, I mean, that list that, that my doctor and I had come up with, yeah, there were some scary things on there. You know, she'd ordered an MRI of my brain. Yeah. Is there a tumor in there? Do I have MS? You know, those were at the top of my list uh, to rule out. Not that, you know, I, no part of me said those are what's going on. However, what was interesting is that on that list, she also did have Lyme. And it was just one thing on that list, but it wasn't anything I was chasing after. I know I was thinking like a doctor. So doctors just Uh, think very analytically. We get the list and we start crossing things off. And I was crossing things off. Okay. So I knew it wasn't, you know, once the MRI came back clear, I knew I didn't have a tumor in my brain. At least I knew it wasn't happening up there. But when I got into Emory, I remember they put me on the, the seizure ward because they were convinced that there was a mass somewhere. It's not in my brain and maybe in my spine. And they were fully expecting me to, to have a seizure. And they were certain I had that tumor. And so we went, that was the first place we went, you know, with all the testing was more MRIs of my spine, another one of my brain to make sure something wasn't missed the first time. And, you know, back home, I'm removed from home. So all I get is little phone calls with the kids, with my husband. Nobody's there with me. I'm alone. But it, I was there for five days. And it wasn't until day five that I said to them, could this be Lyme? We have ruled out everything else. You know, they had done spinal taps. They had done, I mean, it was everything. And they were getting ready, honestly, to release me with no answers. You know, we hadn't found out why. And so I said, look, I know I didn't visit the Northeast. That alone was enough for them to discredit a Lyme diagnosis. They just, they ruled it out. And I said, oh I think else makes sense. Is it possible? And they said, well, we'll grudgingly, we're going to do it. We'll check the spinal fluid for that as well. But here's a PT referral and a wheelchair in case you need one. And that was it. There's no answer. And then and a promise to follow up with me in six to eight weeks. So needless to say, you know, everyone comes to pick me up. It's very emotional. I remember sitting in the back seat of our SUV between my boys, my my daughter's up front with my husband and these 18 year old boys, well, 17 at the time are on either side of me in the SUV. And my one like rests his head on my shoulder, grabs my hand and does this. And, you know, yes, I'm close with my Mm -hmm. kids, but I should have known then what he had known better, what he had been through that week I was gone. Because to get back to like the family, he wound up with terrible depression from this unknown of what is going on with my mom kind of thing. And so he wound up on medication. I mean, it just year, you know, as the months progressed, we had to address things for his health while I was deteriorating and trying to figure out my own. But what's super cool is that I had already met with that functional medicine doctor. So once I got home, yeah, I messaged her and, you know, we've ruled out almost everything on our list. What's left? is Lyme and hormones. And she said, I'm going to give you a clinical diagnosis of Lyme. We're going to treat you for 60 days and see what happens. And within 60 days, I was walking. Again, no cane, no walker. Certainly, I never wound up needing a wheelchair. And it took almost that full 60 days, but I did get some strength back. I wish I could say that was the end of my journey. It was not. But it confirmed for us. It gave you um, hope. And led to the last. It gave me hope. It gave me hope and it led to an eventual proper diagnosis with testing, with proper testing, 
with the kind mm-hmm. of testing they do in Germany and in the rest of Europe, right? The United States is so far behind um, in their testing. And the tests mm-hmm. that we do have here, although they're very specific for Lyme, they are not very sensitive at all. And so, you know, now I know that upwards of 60, 70% of people are, are missed with the Western blot and Eliza and all these other tests. So I was really fortunate. I'm one of those that can say that we caught it fairly quick and yet not quick enough because I do still have symptoms and issues. And, you know, I'm essentially a chronic Lyme patient. You say chronic Lyme patient. And I mean, do you feel, Christy, with all the research you've done and being a doctor yourself, that do you feel like we can ever get rid of this? You know, it's the same. Uh, the Lyme bacteria is a, a spirochete. It burrows in, it hides. We already know that. You know, we know that with syphilis and stuff. So will it ever truly be gone? I don't think so. I actually have donated my body for studies where they will open up my brain after I passed on and look to see where where are they? Are they still there? You know, because I want us to know. I want us to know, is it ever really gone? And, and uh, you know, the, the knee joints, those common areas, they're going, they have the right to um, my body for that. And I just felt that was important again for the next generation to know, can you really beat it? I was my doctor. Once I was walking again, we realized these migraines that had developed were not going away. I was starting to have these crazy episodes where I thought we were having an earthquake in Georgia, but I was tremoring instead. I was in bed and looking at the window and the windows going like this. And I'm like, oh, we're having an earthquake in Georgia. And then I sit up. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? Gone. No, the earthquake's gone. And then I lay back down and there it is again. And it was because I was trembling. And so all of these other symptoms started coming up and it just got really scary. So that was, you know, the six month, eight month mark of, of being sick. Things were just deteriorating again. Well, Christy, how does your everyday life look now? You're home, but you're walking, but you've got these migraines and you're still getting different symptoms. But life must go on. Your kids still have to go to school. Your husband still has to work. Um, yeah, no, life looks very different. Me, yeah. yeah, life was very different. I was no longer making meals. I could not cook. I could not make meals. I could not stand long enough to make a meal. I, hmm. we bought a lot. Of, we, we went from like an organic kind of homemade meal, family dinners around the table every night to get grab what you can, moms up seriously thing. We had big dreams too. For a long time. I finally did reach out to friends. I don't know why I waited. And I, I said, please, I one friend really. And I said, Jane, would you please, please, please put together a food tree? And so my kids, you wouldn't believe the change in the mood in the house just because they had actual home cooked meals or even restaurant meals that were brought in. It was night and day different from, you know, but when you're sick, I felt so bad that I couldn't see what was going on around me. So I go to them and I say, Brooklyn's learning to drive at that time. And so I'm asking her to take me places. She's got a permit. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, would you take me to this doctor's appointment? Would you go by and pick up the groceries? But I couldn't do anything. And so my kids did everything, everything. There was just nothing. This is a really good segue. Yeah. Yeah. This is a really good segue because Brooklyn, let's get to, we asked your mom how she's feeling in the house while this is happening. What's going on in the kids' world in your home that was one way and practically overnight, it's another way? Yeah. Well, I go to a private school, so I only go three days a week. And my brothers are in public school. 
So they're like never home. And then when they are home, they're at work. So it was pretty much me taking care of the farm every morning and night. And I would, I remember like, what is that? What did that entail, Brooklyn? What, what, what? Like, what was your daily routine? It went from being like, oh, maybe I'll go to school now. And maybe yeah. I'll, you know, grab a sandwich with my friends after, get some TCBY or something. Like, what does it look like now? I never got to see my friends. I remember last summer, I think it was. I never left my house until I think the very, or no, it was the very end of July when I finally got out and went on a trip away. And then August too, I ran away to Wisconsin with Callie. But no, before that, like I never left my house. I couldn't be left alone. Yeah. Was the problem because I was so unsteady on my feet. So when the boys were at school or at work, I needed somebody there. My husband does not work from home. Typically at that point, everything had opened back up and he was back at his office. And so she was it. She was my nurse. I mean, she would, if the days I couldn't get out of bed, she'd bring me something to snack on to eat. Well, it was hard because then my schooling is very hard. And so on top of having to get all my work done, I was going upstairs every hour to bring her medicine and to check on her and make sure she's okay. And to bring her food. Just like, I didn't have my license at because usually you would have the boys go and you were pick up, the animals, right? Yeah. You had to get up in the morning and do farm chores. Yeah. Every weekend and everything. Like, there was no sleeping in. I didn't get sleep. You didn't get yeah, sleep. And we didn't notice. You know, it's terrible. It's terrible. I was too... Wait, why weren't you getting sleep? Why wasn't Brooklyn getting sleep? It was just hard. I, we didn't know what was going on with her. And I was always busy, always doing something. I had to be up early in the morning. I remember, like... Especially on days that dad wasn't home and the boys were at school. I was up at like 6.45 or 7 to make sure that she was okay. See, and I don't remember, like, there was never a moment where we said, Brooklyn, you will now be your mother's personal nurse, yeah. right? You don't make that decision. She's an empathetic person. She actually wants to be a nurse one day. And so just naturally, she did those things. Yeah. They were never expected of her. And yet she did those things and really rarely complained. And when I can't get out of bed or when I do, I have to sit on the couch with a blanket over my head because I'm so light sensitive that like a cloudy day is too bright for me, right? And like you said, we're on a farm. We have animals that have to be let out every morning. We have animals that need to be fed. We have, you know, the horses need to be hosed down and we have four dogs in our house. They all need to be fed. These are all things I took on. The farm was my thing. It wasn't ever her thing. Yeah, She's got a goose she loves, you yeah. know, but like that's her thing. The one goose. The whole farm became her farm yeah. to manage. And I remember you were also helping me with my office at the time because I had hired another doctor to cover for me. And then there were days that my staff could oh, be wow. She's kicked out to one of the receptionists at my office mm-hmm. because I, I couldn't manage the, I couldn't manage the business anymore. And eventually we closed the business. I lost my practice because of Lyme. So you don't realize until you just start to feel this much better and look around. That's when I realized my son, actually what happened was his friends reached out to the counselor at school and said, Blake's in trouble, emotionally in trouble, big trouble. And so then, you know, then we go, oh my gosh, wait, what's going on? And we addressed that. It wasn't until that summer that Brooklyn finally was like, don't you guys realize I want to see my friends. I have a life. Can I please go away? I remember begging to go to a friend's house for two hours. I just wanted to get out. And it's, I don't, we were never, I never felt selfish, but we just, yeah. were, I was so wrapped up in dying. I, yeah. At that point, that summer, I was dying. I 
had started the Horowitz protocol, which saved my life, let me just say. But while you're in the protocol, it's much like chemo. It breaks you down before it builds you up. And I was dying. It was, you know, wound up on oxygen. And when you're doing that, when you don't even feel like your soul is any longer in your body, you're not looking around anymore at the people that in the way you used to. She and I, fortunately, had developed a relationship with her going into this. Yeah. That she was happy to help me. Yeah. Tired as all get out, but happy to help me. If I hadn't had that kind of relationship with her, I think we would have probably had to hire a nurse, you know, and would have realized that that's what we were asking of her. So it's eye-opening when I didn't know. I'm not sure your dad still really knows. This will be very eye-opening for him, this reporting, to realize the enormity of your life, how it changed all of this. I got a question for Brooklyn. So just take me to like, okay, let's just go to a typical day while your mom's in the thick of it and you guys don't really know what's going on. Because, you you know, even though you're spending a ton of money on this, going to doctors, taking a bunch of pills, you're taking care of your mom, you've gone, let's say you did the chores in the morning, you checked on your mom, you brought her food, you brought her medicine, you've done some schoolwork, it's now time to maybe go to bed. What's going on in your mind on a normal night like that? As a young lady, what's going on? I think it was just so chaotic that I didn't really think about it. Like, I was stressed out. You just caught up in it? Yeah, it was just like, she's a workhorse too. Yeah. She just buckles down and does the stuff. And then it's later when she goes, I think you felt trapped in your own home. Yeah. No, I think I lost it at one point, like after months. And that's when we finally, I went to the beach with a friend's family. But I don't know. I think it just started to feel normal at one point. Did you have anyone to talk to to help you support you through My this? My best friend, yeah. I mean, we would FaceTime all the time. And like, she, they all knew what was going on and stuff. But her best friend is, I think, the only reason she came through this herself without yeah. being broken is, is Fee. You know, Fee was, whether it was the FaceTimes they were doing or just scrolling together through Instagram. I do remember a couple, a handful, maybe not even twice, where I said, bring your friends over. I'm going to be upstairs still, but just try to have like a normal hangout. But then in the midst of the normal hangout, I'm throwing up. Yeah. And I can't get to the bathroom by myself. I remember. Can you help me get to the bathroom and throw up? I think Lily was helping me carry oxygen tanks up the stairs. My oxygen tanks weren't in my room. I couldn't get to them. Her friends are helping bring oxygen tanks. Like, what? Yeah. And you're right. You make a good point. It started to be normal. After two years. I got you. Yeah. It was like, you know, here we go again. And again, because she's a workhorse, I think. My other kids dealt differently with it. One of them looked away and was just like, and they're twin boys. They're 18 now. One of them just looked away and sort of just decided not to internalize any of it. And the other one internalized all of it and had to escape it in sort of in unhealthy ways. And so, you know, we all deal with these things so differently. And she was the kind of workhorse that stepped in and said, I got this, but not because it was easy. Yeah. You know. Oh my gosh. All right. So bring me up to speed to you're going through the treatment, you do the Horowitz treatment, you break down, you're on oxygen. And now how do you get better to where you can actually, yeah, meet with me and have lunch and then get on this podcast and do the support. I wouldn't have been able to have a conversation like this, even a 10 minute version of this. Right. Uh, then 
right? Right. Like, I great. It was too much. Yeah. It was too- but no, the Horowitz protocol, though it is brutal, I'm a researcher again, I'm a doctor. And so I saw his research come out in October, 2020 with this double dapsone dose. Yeah. Full dose dapsone. And when my doctor gave me all the other options, none of them said, hey, there's a 50% chance you're in remission after this, but that one did. And I said, I want that one then. Even if it's a crap shoot, right? Yeah. I want that one. Let's try that one. Yeah. And we pulled me up about a week early because of the oxygen levels tanked quite low 70s of my pulse ox and again didn't want to see me in the hospital in 60s and so we pulled me off and I just slowly started to feel and it was a slow progression it wasn't like after 60 days I'm back I got out to Mm -hmm. September the kids were going back to school and I could be alone for little shorter periods of time I was driving by October I could drive again the last thing to go uh, were the migraines. My last migraine was this last Christmas day. We had traveled up to Wisconsin. I could not drive yet. Though I could not ride for a, it's a 14 hour drive to Wisconsin. We've been doing it mm-hmm. every year mm-hmm. other than that COVID year. I could not do that. We flew me up. They drove and met me up there. But Christmas day was my last migraine and I haven't had ones. No, I've had headaches. Yeah, smaller versions. Headaches. And I'm still, of course, very careful. A day like this where we're doing this kind of event, I will need a nap, a good solid nap. But I don't have to choose. One of the things I did to get through that time of being so sick is my husband would say, pick one thing that you're going to do. The most important thing that you're going to do that day and everything else, just set it aside. And I still missed prom pictures and I've missed all kinds of things those two years. But, you know, now I'm up to like two, three things in a day that I can do. Now, I have to give a shout out real quick because while I was finishing Horowitz and starting to feel better, I knew that one of my key components to the why my immune system was depressed and therefore sensitive, more sensitive to Lyme than maybe someone else. I knew it was an emotional component. I knew that emotional stresses were involved. And so I did start the DNRS program with Annie Hopper. It's an online program. In, in, what is Dan? the dynamic neural retraining system? It's essentially retraining your brain to address all kinds of things. I mean, the reports she shows are chemical sensitivities. Let's say that's your thing, mold sensitivities, but they had Lyme patients and of course, emotional things. So those triggers, whatever your trigger is, you address those. And I do have to give some credit to that system. I think helping me get that last bit addressed because I do address my stresses very differently. Now I've done a lot of healing and I've got, you know, EMDR practitioner that helped me with that as well. And, you know, there's pieces, there's no one answer. Horowitz didn't do it all, but man, he put the fire out that was in my brain, which brought back family to my life. The fire being out, you know, that's kind of a big deal because otherwise you're just throwing buckets of water on that fire. But that my brain was on fire. Right. So it's kind of neat what's led to Brooklyn's project because 11 years I spent as her Girl Scout leader and a bunch of her friends, of course. And a lot of folks don't know that equivalent to Eagle Scout project for boys is the Gold Award project for girls. And so when Brooklyn was presented with a need to come up with something she's passionate about, something that she's going to put a lot of hours, 80 plus hours into a project she decided to address Lyme disease. 
And so I'll let her tell you what she did and how she did it and everything. Yeah. But, you know, we're finding that this illness has created some really bright spots and good things for the world. Yeah, there's always a reason, right? There's always nothing ever happens to you. I'm still working with this. It doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. And we just don't know all the reasons at once. They will show themselves as time goes on. Like the podcast, I've met you. I've met some amazing people because of mm-hmm. mine, right? And have learned a lot about myself. And, and, yeah. and I wouldn't wish it on anyone, you know, for that reason alone, I wouldn't. I'm one of those folks that you know, when they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, I, I don't ever want to do that again. Like, that's not what I'm, gosh, I wanted to punch people. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know about that. Yeah. I still, I don't think it makes you stronger because I'm probably the weakest I've ever been. Right. From Lyme, not mentally, but definitely. Yeah, but you find these silver linings, like, I know. And yeah, but I had a relapse, as I was telling you a few days ago, and it's like, it does, it gets you down mentally as well. But mm-hmm. Brooklyn, yeah, you decide to take on this amazing project. Why, how, why did you decide to do this? Yeah, so I had to pick something to do that was lasting and it had to meet like requirements. I had to go through an interview and I didn't really want to do it at first, but then once I found something that like actually like meant something to me, it was easier to do after that. Um, and so I think it's, we put like 80 hours into it, but basically I hired a graphic designer. And so I've created this infographic, which we're going to, we started distributing and we're going to get it put up in certain doctor's offices and stuff. And we've already started with that. An infographic is like a medical poster. Yeah. When you go to a doctor's office and they have their, you know, an ENT as a picture of the latest and greatest information on sinus surgery. That's an infographic you see. Mm-hmm. And so right. she put together the most beautiful yeah. infographic through the help of a dear friend of ours, a beautiful infographic. Yeah. It's got like everything you need to know about Lyme disease on it. So I first made that. And then just recently I finished making my LimeWebster.com website. And so we've got a blog on there and Pretty much it has the same information as my infographic does, but it's online. And it also has a PDF link in order so that you can print out the handout. But okay. the goal is to get, I think we said at least 200 views by September. But it's been three days and we already have 120. So that's pretty good. Oh my gosh, that's so great, girl. But why, why did the line thing become passionate for you? Just because you'd lived it? Because I would imagine some kids would be like, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. I lived it. Get it? I've lived it. I don't want to get it out of my world. Right? But you had to embrace it kind of and learn more about it. Why did you go that route, do you think? I think what frustrated me was that when I would tell people that like very briefly, like, oh, my mom is sick, she's Lyme disease. They thought it was like nothing. Like, I remember talking to a couple people and they were just like, oh, I know someone who has that. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, they just didn't think anything of it. Like they were diagnosed with it and they were fine because it hits everyone differently. And so I think I want people to know that mm-hmm. it's, it is a big deal and it's not like, oh, everyone gets this or it's a tick, whatever. Like that, even I remember like when I was younger, I thought if I had a tick on it, I just, I thought the only bad part was that you're itchy after. But I just remember thinking it was like normal that everyone got tick bites. We live on a farm. 
as you yeah. know, we've pulled ticks off of all of us, many ticks, right? And actually, you know, we're fairly sure it wasn't even this last tick that was my first tick that had flown. So right. super frustrating that nobody in the state of Georgia told us to be aware of ticks. Now, my dogs get medicine to prevent yeah. tick bites and Lyme disease, but no doctor, no medical doctor is telling us to be careful of this. So I would literally pull them off these kids and put like some Neosporin or some hydrocortisone yeah. or never thinking yep. that it was carrying yep. potentially devastating diseases. And this was in my backyard, you know, where we play. And right. so, yeah, so she was just as frustrated yeah. and scared. Like, mom, I've had that itchy spot before. Right. right. And yeah, I just wanted people to know because everyone says like it's the Northeast, right? You get it from Northeast, Midwest. So no, if you haven't visited there, yeah, you don't have it. Well, she's got a picture, a map from 2018 from the Bay Area Lyme Foundation. That's wrong. And that's all my question. You know, no, the, the ticks well, are... We already know that's wrong. We know that's wrong, yeah. but the world but doesn't. No one else does. No, and even our doctors here town, unless well, you find that one, literate one. Yeah. It's not accepted, and that's what Bruce is talking about on the podcast where his second wind was his tick bite and how he was in his second wind and got a tick bite and then had to go and got very angry at not being diagnosed. And it, it's fairly simple to be diagnosed properly. It's just no one will do it. Okay, why? And then that's when we go to the IDSA and the CDC and find out all this stuff and all the political garbage because right. that's what it is surrounding it. Right. And listen, it's true that it's easy to treat. If you catch it early, it is true that it's easy to treat if early, but we're not, we're not catching it early. We're telling people mm -hmm. just pull it off instead of submitting the tick to a tick lab that'll check for things that it might've been carrying instead of, you know, urgent care dermatologists in the area being aware it's here. Lyme is here in Georgia. There's 200 some people just alone on a Facebook page that I help manage in our own community and yet it's dismissed. One of the many reasons for this podcast is to collect, connect, and share information that will add to your life. It is my honor and pleasure to share products with you that I buy, use, and believe in that are high quality, sustainable, responsible to our earth, and that actually work. One product I have been using for almost a year now, every day, and now twice a day with the diagnosis of my Lyme disease is collagen. Collagen is a buzzword right now because collagen is a protein that makes up 30% of our bodies. And like everything else, as we age, we lose it. Fine lines, brittle nails, dull hair, achy joints, dry skin are all part of why collagen is so essential. So let me share why Elaine Collagen, the brand I use, is in my opinion more effective than what's out there on those shelves. It is easy to use, tasteless, and dissolves into any beverage. It's non-GMO. And it's from cows raised in Spain. And no chemicals are used for its extraction. Bingo, speak in my language. You can experience the benefits for yourself and receive 15% off by using the code SECONDWIND, all one word, at checkout at ElaineWellness.com. And if you want to know more about Elaine and her Second Wind story, listen to her episode. The title is Plot Twist. There's no such thing as anti-aging from March 15, 2021. Now, back to the episode. Yeah. 
you know, one thing I wanted to mention is you mentioned anger, you know, that you get angry about it. And what I found when I really would sit, you know, there were months and months and months where I couldn't do much besides sit and think. <laughs> okay. And what I realized is I was going through the stages of grief and probably Brooklyn went through her own stages of grief, right? And she held on to her anger for a long time. It wasn't until, I mean, a year after I had gotten sick, a year after basically being my home nurse. What? You know, before she finally allowed anger to come up and for her to feel it. But in that time when I couldn't do much else, I would sit and I started writing a memoir and it's not finished yet, but it's really about the process of grieving while you are in the midst of a chronic illness and that feeling of denial that you initially have. And then the depression that sits. I mean, I was getting ready to write letters to these kids, telling them how much I loved them and that I didn't know if I was going to survive this, you know? So, oh my God, that yeah, that gets me teary. Yeah. Can't even imagine. And then the, what they don't tell you about grief, they tell you there's these stages, right? And there's the anger and there's, what they don't tell you is that even after you've done the anger, guess what? You get to go back and do it again. Yeah. Maybe, right. So you think you come through that stage and you're feeling better. You're not depressed anymore. And then all of a sudden you are. And so grieving what your life looked like before. And when you talk second wind, I mean, I'm still processing what this is going to mean. For me. Me too. You know, and again, at the time, I didn't even realize, I don't even know if I realized until today, actually, that you have had to go through these same grieving processes. Blake, my son, Blake, same grieving processes, Tristan, in all their own different ways, they were grieving the life we had, the ease of it, the vitality, you know, that was gone and is just now. You're not the same. Yeah. You're not the same. You may talk the same. You may act the same, animated or whatever. But yeah, it's not like, hey, let's go for a bike ride. Hey, let's go do this. Hey, let's go do that. It's more, I don't know. It is. It's just so different. And you're right. And I'm about to go to my summer house where I try to fit in every freaking activity I can do every day. And which of my friends can I get to do them with me? And how many different kinds of activities can I do? I could cry right now. I'm really worried about going up there and not being able to do the things I want to do. Brooklyn's an extrovert like you are. Yeah. Brooklyn is that extrovert. And that is what she literally dealt with that same thing of what am mm -hmm. I giving up here? I'm an introvert. I love to be at home. And, but yes, what you're feeling, I think she went through those same feelings. Mm -hmm. Brooklyn, share. Let's hear. Tell me about it. Well, for me, I just love like hanging out with my friends every single day. And so like losing that entire summer was just hard. It was just like mm -hmm. more than a summer. Yeah. I mean, well, but during the school year, I got to see going like at school. I had teachers who were bringing me to school because like you couldn't drive me. That's right. And then my grandpa drove me the beginning of this year. Now I have my license. So it was a lot easier. But no, I had a teacher who would pick me up and take me home every day. And she was a patient too. She would see you sometimes when you were sick. Mm -hmm. But then it was hard because I used to help you with school. Yeah. She would need me to, you know, sit down and help me learn these cards or help me with Spanish or yeah. she lost her tutor. Essentially, yeah. for that year, too. Yeah. You know, I didn't even really think about that. But well, then I get home from school, I'd be exhausted, and I'd have to immediately go and check on you, and then, you know, just do everything else. So I was pretty tired. Yeah. Did you ever have times when you just cried? Yeah. Yeah. How did you get through it? Well, I felt bad at first because I didn't want to be angry at you. But then at the same time, it was like, when else am I supposed to be angry at? Like, 
Right. You know? Right. I couldn't leave the house and do anything. I felt bad too for that, but. No, eventually I just got, well, once school started back up again, it was kind of a distraction, I think. And you were getting better at that time. I went on two trips, which really helped me just get a break. I think I was gone for like a month total, maybe longer. One of our key healing moments, she's a big fan of Morgan Wallen. Yeah. And we had bought her concert tickets and I wanted to try, you know, and I'm light sensitive and I'm sound sensitive, but I'm starting to get through it. It's after the Horowitz protocol. It's like the fall after. And I said, I basically said F you to the universe and I'm going, I'm going and I don't know how it's going to go. And I might have to go back and sleep in the Jeep during the concert. But we went, her daddy and I took her and I had my headphones and I, you know, all the things I needed and I could barely walk back to the Jeep afterwards, my legs had gone tingly and weird again. Yeah, right? I remember we were like, oh, almost had to carry yeah. me back. But we did it. Yeah. And it was like, we did it. And we did it together. Yeah. And I'm like, this is it. This is the beginning of like coming back to us, to our home, to our relationship. To You know, that was really a special moment. I won't ever forget it. And she stood there by me, you know, I'm like looking away because the lights are bright and he's singing a, a harder song that I was ready for. Like checking up on you too. Yeah, other like, people are like, are you okay? with her headphones on? But she was right there like this, yeah. like singing. And we had our yeah. girl hats on and like, yeah, it was just good. It was good. I think it made us remember that I was getting better. I was getting stronger, body, mind and spirit all around. And she was a reason why, you know? So and here we are now. What does life look like now? Because you're only two years. Oh, so different. I mean, you and I both know we're not healed, but we still have setbacks. We still have things. There's still moments when you're like, I can't really do that right now. Yeah, now is far more normal for her because I can drive again. And I don't have, you know, instead of taking 25 medications or, you know, 56 pills a day, I have a few supplements. I have a good, good number of supplements. But they're supplements, they're vitamins, you know. But we, you know, we bought tickets for Morgan Wallen concert again in August. And I yeah. might not even need my earplugs. Okay. And we, you know, we're going to go to the beach this year. And this year I will actually get to be on the water and on the beach and hang with cousins and stuff up at the mountains. And it's totally different. It's totally different. I mean, outside of me saying, girly girl, I got to go take a nap. Yeah. I'm out doing bar. Again, yeah. I let her sleep in today. So, and I wait, not today, the day before. <laughs> Look, I slept in today. You slept in today. So, you know, she's got a normal teen life again. Her friends come here. She goes off. Her brothers are graduating. You know, it's just returning to some bit of norm. But no, I mean, you know, it's not the same. It's a new, different, yeah. gentler normal, I guess. It is. You have to like grieve the loss of what was your life. Yeah. Yeah. And the writing is what allowed me to do that properly. With Brooklyn, how are you feeling now with everything? A lot. Yeah. It's starting to feel pretty normal again. Yeah. The new normal is okay with you? Yeah. I'm pretty good with it. I mean, I see my friends like every day now. I'm always, she's Either my out people at home or I'm somewhere. She's my run around extrovert. I mean, she deserves this. She yeah. deserves to go off and be a teenager. You can drive yeah. so we can go and do stuff together. And we, you know, gosh, you know, it was so silly. We used to go to Target a lot all the time, right? And then I was sick and I couldn't go to Target at all. I still remember the first time last fall 
that I said, let's go to. And I couldn't walk around as long and we didn't goof around maybe as much, but like, it's those little things you start putting back into your life. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, we even went to Costco the other day. Like that wasn't even fun. We should have done something fun instead of going to Costco, right? But it is, it's returning to a far more comfortable living again to give hope to all those folks. Yeah. And where do we see this website going that you created? Because it's gorgeous. You're going to get way more than 100 views. <laughs> and <laughs> and yeah, tell me that because then I have something to say about that. Go ahead. Well, that's the hardest question for uh, her. To, where would you like it to go? I mean, everyone in Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'd like it. I'd like everyone in Georgia to know about it. You know? Or just to know what like it in any sort of way. The most rewarding is for her friends to say, oh, this is real. Yeah. You know, for her daily life, for there to be some recognition and acceptance yeah. of what it is and what we've gone through and, you know, and, and the prevention still of another bite, you know, and all of that. I know that I just recently became a Global Lyme Alliance mentor, like a peer-to-peer mentor for others. So I kind of hope to get her website and information linked up with them somehow. You know, LymeDisease.org, these sites that really honestly got me through those difficult times and gave me hope and gave me actual current information because the only information she has on her website is current information. Yeah. It's not dated. It's not, you know. I was getting started. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, we wanted to hit Facebook and Instagram and all these other little social media outlets. That's why... She didn't plan to do a podcast. Yeah. And then you were like, when I met you through our line group, you're like, how about a podcast? So I think some things just may have become, have a life of their own, they say. I think this might have a life of its own. And we're just, I think, excited. Absolutely. You see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be exciting to see where it goes. Yeah. And be open to what yeah. comes away. One thing I wanted to comment on about your website is I wonder, and I really don't know the answer to this. There's got to be a bunch of kids that are living with Lyme in their home. And I wonder if there weren't something that maybe you blogging or sharing how you were able to get through or, you know, every now and then just putting in a little blurb. Yeah, I got really angry. I remember getting really angry one day and this happened and this is how I dealt with it or something. And another thing, I don't know if this happened for you, Brooklyn. But I know when I had a friend way back when whose whose mother I heard had Lyme and her mother, she had to take care of her baby sister and brother and stuff. And I looked at her mother. Her mother looked fine to me. And I'm like, oh, she's just lazy. She's just making my friend do all this so we can't go play, right? Yeah. That's what I thought. And I wonder because we look good on the outside. I heard it last night at one of the restaurants. Well, you look great. You must be feeling good. I'm like, actually, right now I'm in a lot of pain. I can't move my neck. Everything hurts. I get lost getting here. I can't remember anything, but it's almost like you want people to understand it. So you don't feel like you have to make excuses. Yeah. Maybe that's for me. I feel like I have to excuse my behavior or excuse being late to something because honest to God, I couldn't get moving to do it. You know what I mean? I know as a doctor of, again, I was a a chiropractor, but I had patients with chronic illnesses, you know, fibromyalgia and migraines and things like that. And I always felt very empathetic to them. I always thought I understood, but you don't understand unless you lived with it or lived with it. 
Yeah. You know, and so it's funny because when we named this website, when she came up with this website, we were thinking Lyme lives here in Georgia. Okay, Lyme lives here. When you heard the name, your brain immediately went, goes, Lyme lives like here yeah. in our home, right? Yeah. And so it's interesting when you bring up the idea of her sharing. I still feel that way. Yeah. Well, and it has a life of its own. And I think that we do have the ability to blog through the site. I did, an, she asked me to do an initial post, but we do have the ability. And so she would have the ability to really roll with that angle. It's an angle that we hadn't even thought about until we knew you met you and chatted with you and so yeah. who's to say where it's gonna go that's why we do all of this right it's why we meet each other and all of us Lyme folks we do need to be there and holding each other up and encouraging these avenues and angles that we hadn't even really thought about so I just see you being able Brooklyn to be that beacon of hope and light for teenagers yeah like yourself there's got to be a million of them going yeah. through the same darn thing you are and have been going through that could say, oh, look, she understands. I get it now. And just be, you know, sometimes just reading somebody else's story or hearing somebody else's story can really help. Yeah. You're really not alone. Yeah. Right? That's the point. And the fact that you did this, and it's such a beautiful website. How do people find it, Brooklyn? So it's at the very bottom of how to contact us at my infographic. So I'm hoping just people like in doctor's offices will see that and visit it. Um, we shared it a couple of times on Facebook, and that's how I've gotten the majority of my views. Get on the website, Nate. What's the website? Tell us how to get to it. LiveLivesHere.com. Okay, perfect. And Christy, are there ways people can get in touch with you? You know, the best way is through her website. Yeah, LiveLivesHere.com. There's a contact us button on there. She is manning that. As the guest writer of the blog, from time to time, it hits both our mailboxes. So, yeah, you can reach out on either one of those. You know, how this grows and where it goes next, who's to say? But the more people it touches and reaches and that listen to this, yeah. the more change we make, the better off all of us will be. Future generations, you know, they call it Lyme generation because this is here. It's here to stay. Mm. And so the more people that know it, and no, they're not alone. You know, she felt very alone. Thankfully, I have a very supportive husband who they also are close. She is very yeah. close with her dad. So they had each other. But there are kids out there that don't have that relationship, say, with another parent or a sibling or whatever, that, or, or that best friend they can tell anything to, right? So, yeah, we're here. Let us know. And I would also encourage the, the Global Lime Alliance. They have peer-to-peer for family members of the suffering. So someone like Brooklyn, if she was really stuck in that place still, could reach out to them and get a peer to talk with. So please, I would encourage anyone that's struggling to also, you know, we don't need to recreate that. Yeah. There's a program for that. So we just want to let people know it's out there. There's a lot of support groups. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of information we don't. And I've heard this on different Lime podcasts, specific Lime podcasts, which there are a few that we've already got these groups. We don't need to add another group. We just need yeah. to support the groups that are doing the most good. And which ones do you support? The Global Lyme Alliance? Global Lyme Alliance, I'm just in love with them. You know, they do a lot of money raising for research. And so right now they're focusing on Bartonella. You know, we even touch on co-infections and stuff. I know your other speakers have. They put their money where their mouth is. It's fantastic. They get some really great things happening there. 
And then LymeDisease.org is honestly how I felt sane because they have a checklist of symptoms. They have a list of doctors. They have, you know, there's still, again, a lot of information there. And those were our two go-tos that I highly recommend. We're, those links actually will be added onto Brooklyn's website. We, yeah. You know, this website keeps morphing and changing. And so it will be developing over the course of, you know, the next year as it goes live and launches and all that. So I see you at 30 years old, still dealing with this website and all of the things it's become yeah. in a good way. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I'm not. Because this is, this is not going away. This disease is not going away and it's getting worse. And Bruce said it is an actual epidemic that we're not paying attention to. Right. And the fact, and we talked about this before we got on, the fact that you and me and everyone else who goes to the doctor with a wonky kind of symptom or a bite or something, and they want to say, oh, it's a spider bite. Oh, it's cellulitis. Oh, don't worry about it. There should be a very simple, inexpensive test that's conclusive. Right. It doesn't matter how strong your immune system is on how you present, that we can just have the test. And we know so Germany we does it. Germany's already doing that, right? Like there's other countries that are already doing that. And in fact, when I first got sick, I thought I was going to have to send my blood over to Germany. Well, they wouldn't take it because COVID. They didn't want American blood traveling overseas. But, you know, other places are doing it already. We're always slow here. And honestly, here's as a doctor, we are changing over from doctors are the experts to you've got to be an expert you are your best advocate, you know? Absolutely. And so that's why getting out into the mass, having the everyday folks, the the folks, I worry now about the folks that are out, you know, working on our electric lines and in, in the woods and in the trees and in the farms. I mean, so many of us have horses and stuff that have been affected by this. Dogs, the folks that live in parks, the folks that live in, you know, get tucked away into the shady woods and stuff. We need them to hear this because your doctor might not. You can't rely on a doctor right now, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. It's just not as simple as that anymore. You have to go in and, and demand the tests. You have to, you know, go in and counter them and give them the research studies yourself, you know, get on PubMed. And, and so it's just, um, this is just the beginning, I think, of a generation that's going to recognize that their health is in their hands. And that's how I think we will finally get people to listen is by educating the masses. Yeah. And we have to make it cost effective. I have a... $4,426 bill from my original Lyme test. Yep. Oh, I spent $20,000 at Emory and got no answers, right? That's what's wrong. And there are no simple answers, but we need to get, you know, donations and educational tools in the hands of, you know, the right authorities and the right doctors, but in the right, in, in all of our hands so that we can demand it. The long haul COVID folks have a lot of the same symptoms that chronic Lyme patients have. So I do believe there's going to be awakening. They're going to recognize that you can have chronic virus, you can have chronic infections, whether they're viral or bacterial, and that we can't ignore them. And so I do think there's change coming. It's just, I wish it was coming faster, but we're doing our part. Yeah. And you're doing your part and I appreciate Definitely. that very much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knew that it's just interesting how life unfolds, right? Yep. And yeah. all the things we learn along the way. Yep. I want to thank you both so much for your time today and for meeting with me and for sharing your story. And Brooklyn, kudos to you, girl. Thank that you. website thing. I'm so proud. It's so cool. And to get the word out, 
but you did it with the idea of helping others. Yeah. It was always about helping others and mm -hmm. getting the word out. And that's so huge. Thank you. And yes, I want you to continue and do a blog and talk about what it's like to live with Lyme here in your house. Yeah. I just think people need to know. People need to hear the stories of how it really knocks them out. And it just affects the whole family and it affects your bank account and it affects your retirement and it affects everything. And people just yep. don't know. And it would be a lot easier if we got everybody on the bandwagon. We could get the CDC and the IDSA and all these people to say, yeah, we really need to get this done. We really need to get this test figured out. Get on the website and share it. You know, yeah. Share it with everybody. Sure. Share it. Tell your neighbors, you know, we've got flyers. We're going to pass that to our neighbors. Just share it because there's so many that need to hear it. So yeah. thank you, Wendy. And there's so many people who are sick. You're welcome. But there's so many people that are sick that a Lyme, tick, disease, co-infection is what probably started that series of events that led them to that disease. Mm -hmm. We just don't know. Yep. So, yes. So, yay, ladies. Thank, Thank you, you so much Thank again. It's been ah, a pleasure. We appreciate you. It's all good. Thank you so much. And until next time, breathe in your second win. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, Make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.